0: 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
1: Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording live from our Podstream studios here in Times Square. You know, folks... Every week, right, at the end of the week, it is Friday, and this is going to be a mix of fuck it Friday and feel good Friday, but there isn't really a lot to feel good about if you've been paying attention. You have celebrities that are spouting some of the most ridiculous and false medical information as our country is spiking from COVID-19, looking at you, Nicki Minaj. Wish that you would spend some time, maybe a little bit of time in between trying to keep your husband out of jail and maybe potentially trying to do your quote unquote research on COVID-19 vaccines instead of spreading bullshit to 22 million people, right? Somebody told me. Essentially that I needed to provide quote unquote grace for black women that mess up. I provide grace for a lot of people, but what I don't provide grace for, are for people that decide to double down on their foolishness and potentially risk, right? Having 22 million people decide that they're not going to get vaccinated because Nicki Minaj and the Barbies told them not to. Right, based on some false premise that three countries had to come out and smack down. I'm just outdone by the fucking stupidity at this point. And people, quote unquote, doing your own research. Meanwhile, I would love to see what your grades look like in science. You know, when you were in high school and probably skipped those classes. What kind of fucking research are these people actually really doing? Are you googling? Are you going to the CDC? Are you going to the WHO? Are you going to Nicki Minaj's page or you know, Buster Rhymes's page or Ice Cube's page? to figure out what kind of fuckery they decided to spread today. Understand, folks, that you now, you people, you Nicki Minaj's and Busta Rhymes and Ice Cubes have become a tool of the right. So when the likes of Tucker Carlson and Candace Owens are singing your praises and retweeting you, know that you are on the wrong fucking side of history and on the wrong fucking side of literally everything. When they decide to lift you up, you should fucking run and suspend your own goddamn accounts. So that's that on that. Here we are once again, folks, with uh, the potential, right, to do something right around voting rights, to do something that is going to change America's slippery, slippery sliding slope into fascism. Right. Right now, I just saw pictures on MSNBC of our Capitol building surrounded by essentially, you know, seven foot high fences, barbed wire, all of these things. And I wonder, is this what democracy looks like? Is this what it looks like to live free when our Capitol building is behind bars? Like, is this so recognize that we have become prisoners of the right. And I don't think that folks are really wrapping their eyes around what has happened, whether or not you're living in a red state, but you actually have blue sensibilities, meaning that you believe in vaccines, you believe in science, you believe in facts, and now you're being held hostage, whether it be in your home or in your school, by a governor who was choosing to not follow any science, to not follow any rules, and to essentially become the executioner for the citizens of their state. And so as I look around right now at our country in shambles, every which way that you look and pick an issue, it's fucked right now. I think about Joe Manchin and I think about the fact that this attention whore is the one who now we are essentially pandering to. Our entire democracy and the health of it is on the shoulders of a man from West Virginia who is the king of coal, who has no black or brown constituents, and could give a fuck so long as he remains the king of his small fiefdom. I am so sick to death of hearing his fucking name and Kirsten Cinema's name and recognizing that we have three branches of government, as somebody had said to me on Twitter, and I said, damn, you know... This is really the goddamn truth. They said the three branches of government as they sit right now is Biden, McConnell's courts, and Joe Manchin. So essentially three white men are controlling every direction that this country takes. And the only direction that it's moving in right now is backwards. And Joe Manchin has signaled that he wants to move on voting rights, a bill that he's decided to endorse, that guess what? Takes out every single ethics rule that was put into the other pieces of voting rights legislation to make sure that a Trump-like figure cannot emerge, right, and cannot take over this country. So he's removed those things. He's removed a lot of things that have to do with ethics. And our friend who joins the show often Ellie Mitzel wrote this in the Atlantic. And I tell you, friends, if you have not read the piece, you should. It is both depressing, but also necessary. And he said this. And I got to tell you, you know, whenever Ellie writes, I am both extremely excited and also very depressed. He says this at the end of his piece entitled Joe Manchin giveth on voting rights and Joe Manchin taketh away. He says this, America isn't a democracy right now. It's a hostage scenario. Manchin is just toying with the Democrats who insist on negotiating with him. And that is the absolute truth here, folks. You see, Joe Manchin is having the time of his fucking life. He is on everybody's lips and he is at the center of every conversation. I've never seen an attention whore like this other than maybe A Nicki Minaj, but I've never seen anything like this in a politician. Usually, they really want to go to the table. At least, maybe in my, you know, very delightful, lovely memories from back in the day when I worked on Capitol Hill and I believed in democracy and I believed in the people. Maybe it's that memory that is being conjured, and that oftentimes is proving not to have been the truth. Right? You know, folks. When you think about this, right? And I just, again, we don't need to present hypotheticals on this issue. We need only to look at the last four years under Donald Trump and the fucking grift that his entire family put together in order to squeeze as much money away from the American people, away from agencies, away from social safety nets, and into his fucking pocket. So how is it that a Joe Manchin who on his own is a fucking sellout because he has more money from coal than anywhere else. Right. As well as, you know, the fucking Koch brothers decides that after witnessing Donald Trump and all of his family's fucking grift over the last four years, that we don't need to put in writing the things that we expect from our fucking president and vice president. How is that? Right, because here's the thing that you are essentially asking burglars to watch the fucking bank. That's what we are doing right now with our politicians. Right, we can't get shit done with regard to big pharma and how they price their prescriptions. Right, that they create for the American public. You know why? Because three of the biggest right Dems, quote unquote middle of the rotors, take close to two million dollars from big fucking pharma. All of this is a goddamn sham. And I wonder how we make it through each and every week without going out of our front doors and just screaming that primal scream and waiting for something to fucking change and happen. Because what I am starting to recognize is that it does not matter who the fuck we vote for because at some way, form shape, and down the road, they will turn into a grifter just like everybody fucking else, right? You know, I remember there's an episode of Sex in the City that I love so much. It was very funny where Carrie Bradshaw says that squirrels are essentially rats just in better costumes. That's how the fuck I feel about the Democrats right now. Essentially many of those centrist, right? Are just what Republicans in different fucking clothing with different mantras, but they're doing the same type of underhanded grifting shit that Republicans just do to your face. Right. Because they say their work is who going to fucking check me? Ain't not a goddamn person because everybody is trying to get on or get off with money in their pockets, in their packs, right in their businesses or what have you. They could give up, fuck about the rest of us. And this is why I continue to say that revolution to me looks like the only direction that we are headed in because I'm not quite sure how you continue to try and reform a system that was based on grift and racist capitalism. I don't know. Coming up next, folks, is my conversation with a really dynamic duo who put out a very thoughtful book that I think that this conversation is one that should be happening a lot more but doesn't. I get to talk with Kay Whitlock and Nancy Heitzegg, who wrote the book Carceral Con*. The Deceptive Terrain of Criminal Justice Reform. And I really enjoyed this conversation. It was about 35 minutes of just listening to these women talk about the ways in which we've all been duped, right, by the prison industrial complex, that they talk about how its tentacles reach into every Part of our society. So I hope that you enjoy that conversation. Let me know what you think about the ideas around abolition, restoration, reform, and reimagining this broken system. Folks, I am so happy to be joined for the first time on Woke AF Daily with Kay Whitlock and Nancy Heitzeg, authors of Carsul Khan: The Deceptive Terrain of Criminal Justice Reform. Thank you to the both of you, for one, for your work in a topic that I think doesn't get enough attention. When you highlight the fact that the United States has 4% of the world's population, and yet 20% making up of those that are incarcerated, those are numbers that I think are really difficult to run from. And they're really shocking. And the premise, I think, of your work is We have people, organizations, administrations that always want to talk about how we reform this system. And the both of you are saying, how do you reform a system that was built on injustice to begin with? One of many big conversations that came out of the uprisings over the summer in 2020 was abolish the police, right? We had, you know, multiple very high profile and then many very low profile murders of unarmed black people by police. And the conversation got stuck on language, right, about abolition and not necessarily what that means. And so, Kay I'll give this to you first, which is, you know, how important is language here right when we're talking about we're talking about reform or we're talking about reimagining a system or we're talking about abolition how important is the language that we're using versus the impact that is needed to change or shrink i should say this octopus that you're talking about that is the prison industrial complex
3: well the language the rhetorical devices um, that are used, especially to frame reform, are very important in the sense that people really need to know how they're being uh, used and misused. Abolition has a long uh, history in this mm-hmm. country, and it comes out of a black radical tradition. And there are many streams and currents and threads of abolitionism that have have fed in this country. When we start to see the the gathering of uh, what Nancy and I call Reform Inc, that is the the coalescence of uh, an emergent industry that's going to, it's a public private industry that's going to manage uh, reform. And it starts to really Gain momentum in the brokering of certain kinds of agreements between governments, and it's philanthropy-driven and mm-hmm. uh, agreements between uh, public and private partners. And the rhetoric they use to fashion some um, some of the responses is is really kind of important because they pick rhetoric that they believe will respond to most people and that will actually blunt protest. Mm -hmm. It seems to be responsive to protest. It seems to be responsive. You know, we have in, in, in 2009, we have the Oscar grant killings, we have Ferguson, we have this unending series of, of, of killings and the rising of, 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 Of protest and fury about that. And actually that starts to gain a lot of public support over the years. You can just chart an upward interest in, in, in abolition things. So when we talk about the rhetoric, we can talk about the concepts abolitionists use and how they get co-opted by reformers and how they get Undermined so that, uh, you know, defund the police is a slogan that comes out and it means exactly what it says. Defund the police. By defunding the police, you reduce contact, the amount of contact people have in communities, and that's going to matter. And you free up more resources that should be spent on human needs, on social goods, on environmental needs, completely outside of the criminal justice system. But suddenly you have this reform, this backlash from the reform movement saying they don't really mean to fund the police. Yes, Mm -hmm. we did. And yes, we do. (laughs) Uh, They don't, they're saying all or nothing that, that isn't a, that isn't viable. That isn't viable. Um, Then We start to see the emergence, too, of people who call themselves abolitionists but say, we're abolitionists, but we believe first you have to build more humane new jails. We're abolitionists, but, you know, the way to have public safety is to have um, smaller, better run jails, better trained police. So um, there's a whole rhetoric of reform that's incredibly deceptive. masquerades in such phrases as public safety, as um, smaller, fairer, kinder for jails. The whole reimagining rhetoric, that's really interesting because I've been working in this particular area and considered myself an abolitionist since at least 2000, the late 1990s. And a number of abolitionists who'd been in it longer than I had were already using the reimagining kind of language. Now, the Vera Institute for Justice wants to, quote, reimagine prisons, Mm -hmm. not permanently reduce them. Let's Let's make them nicer. Let's make them better. Let's make them an institution of democracy. So we don't let the co-optation of rhetoric get in the way of of saying what we really mean. Yes, we do really mean defund the police. Yes, we do mean abolition, which is as much about creating the social and economic and ecological conditions in which both individuals and communities Mm -hmm. especially those who have been marginalized, can thrive outside of the criminal legal system of lawing rhetoric. It's going to be evidence-based reform. It's going to be just. They will not touch structural racism, will not touch structural poverty, but dressing up reform in certain um, words that are so compelling that we don't often understand how effective a vehicle, so-called criminal legal justice, just criminal justice system reform is for advancing broader processes of criminalization and an expansion of police forces literally as a substitute for civil rights yeah. yep. for voting rights for real justice. So it's it's a dark little wonderland of sorts mm-hmm. in the rhetoric. So when uh Nancy and I are talking for example we're trying to be real specific about helping people understand peel away um the cooptation or the or just the deception or the incompleteness that's in mm-hmm. the rhetoric and start to think about the concepts of structural justice, structural inequality.
1: I think that that makes so much sense, right? For us to move past the rhetoric and into the concepts, but it's the rhetoric that turns into the hashtags, that turns into the protests, that turns into all of these different things. And I wonder, you know, I I wonder Nancy too, we see our politicians consistently get caught up in this, right? Because if we have conversations about what it means to abolish police, really, conceptually, have conversations about what it means to abolish uh, the prison industrial complex, um, then Democrats, right, get the, the moniker as being soft on crime, right? And then Republicans are able to co-opt the mantra law and order, and so I'm wondering from your from your vantage point, you know how 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 do we negate those things from happening because it, it's it's where we get caught up in this vicious cycle where progress really is not made. the progress is really only made so much as we change the language and adapt to the times that we're in, but it doesn't actually change the system in and of itself
0: mhm
2: you know I'm sitting here in minneapolis um you know, in the aftermath of the, you know, George Floyd murder and Dante Wright murder and many murders and many protests and burned down the third precinct. Um, you know, and and thinking about language, um, and and I think how important it is to for abolitionists to not compromise the language or not try to assuage um, you know, various political parties. I mean, Minneapolis is a very democratic city, Mm -hmm. very blue city. Um, you know, one of the, um, results, um, um, of the George Floyd murder were some efforts on the part of the city council and various activist groups like Reclaim the Block and Black Visions Collective. Um, now yes for Minneapolis. Um, to organize and push for um, some changes to the language of the city charter, um, which mandates, you know, X amount of police officers have to, um, you know, serve here. You know, and, there, and lots of conversation, you know, for more than a year now about um, changing the charter, about creating um, a new department of public safety mm-hmm. that police might be a part of, um, you know city council was for this um you know it's about potentially defunding the police and replacing some police functions like mental health crisis calls, et cetera with with um you know public health options um lots of support for this um you know twenty two thousand Minneapolis residents you know signed. Um, uh, You know, petition to get this on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Um, The backlash has been stunning, Um, you know, even in a Democratic city backlash from the mayor, you know, um, backlash from other so-called Democrat, you know, former politicians, you know, the Minnesota Supreme Court now is hearing um, whether or not this will even be on the ballot. So bottom line, I guess, and then this is related to everything that Kay said. Um, um, I think abolitionists should be real clear. Yeah. Um, We want to defund the police. We want to abolish the police. We want to abolish the prison industrial complex. Um, um, We might be interested in and certainly supportive of reforms that um immediately mitigate the suffering um of those in the system without expanding it um, but i don't know i guess my my view increasingly over time is that so much energy um activist energy is spent on um trying to placate um elected political figures yep. Yep. um that 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 we should just say what we want, say what we mean, um, move forward, um, work in community as as much as we can to, you know, create and envision, um, you know, another world.
1: That's it for today's Woke AF Daily podcast. To hear more from today's show, including my full interviews with Kay Whitlock and Nancy Heitzegg, do check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash woke AF. Power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck.
0: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring